Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. To the junction, in the grove, and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. Hey, hey, hey. Monday afternoon, Sports Talk Mississippi. Streaming online with you at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky. A very hoarse Michael Borky. Brian Haydad and Brian Scott Rippey. Major League Baseball going on right now. NLDS. Cardinals leading 2-1 to one over the Braves. Braves up two games to one in the series. Trying to close it out on the road in St. Louis. Tampa Bay trying to get one against Houston. They lead 9-3, to three, bottom of the seventh inning in Tampa Bay. Houston leads that series two games to none. Later this evening, 5.40 first pitch, Dodgers and the Washington Nationals. Dodgers are up two games to one in the series. And Game 3 in Minneapolis tonight on FS1 at 7.40. Yankees at Minnesota Twins. Yankees are up two games to none in the series. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help you out. They've been financing land for over 100 years. You can find a branch location online or give them a call, mslandbank.com, where they know the lay of the land. Talk, Borky. <laughs> I don't know if I can. You can't. Oh, my gosh, that's worse than it was even a minute ago. Oh, yeah. I, it, it comes and goes. It's worse but... today than it was yesterday. Yeah, I... I... Definitely. I mean, I guess I, I don't know why that would be the case. But I mean, we when, talked, I, when I talked to you and you were driving home yesterday, I could tell that you were hoarse, but it didn't sound like you had eaten a goat, hair and all. It sounds like like you've eaten a goat right now. Well, goat's pretty good, so you say so. Uh, you got to see the Saints win yesterday. Yeah, you sat kind three of. rows from the to- the top, and apparently. Your goal was to allow Sean Payton to actually hear you from where you were sitting. Yeah, well, he called a great game, so it wasn't much yelling at him. But uh, I don't know if you could call sitting up there watching the game. Because, like, you can't see the jersey numbers, really. We were that high mm-hmm. up. And I've got, I've got good vision. And the only way I knew what players were who is because I know where they line up on the field. Like, you could not see jersey numbers from that high up. But it, you mentioned it after you went to the Texans game. It is a very dip, different atmosphere than college. I mean, oh, yeah. the pageantry and stuff is gone. There's no band, and all that stuff's kind of cool. But every single person in that stadium is engaged, like it is the Super Bowl. Everybody. Did you and, wear a jersey? No, no. I wore that, that ugly shirt that I have that's just a series of Photoshop Drew Brees faces all over it. Do you have a jersey? No, I've got an Alvin Kamara jersey, though. <laughs> Man, hey, Dad, what are we going to do, like do with him? What are we going to do with him, hey, Dad? You know what? 
that man is his life is about to change in a huge, huge way. Let him have his final moments of freedom and, and happiness. I'm oh, I'm thrilled with him that he got to go to the game. It's just the uh, wardrobe choice. He uh, he wore a, uh, a I mean, two dollar Drew Bees t- t- shirt. You, sh- you should just spring for a nice polo or something, you know. I, like I, I would shirt. not have given you any grief if you told me you had worn a Saints jersey yesterday. Yeah, you would have, and that's okay. No, I don't think so. I, I think I've uh, I've now done the NFL thing enough to. Uh, it's not what I'm going to do, not my gig, but it's what forty percent of the crowd is in jerseys. Just what people do in the NFL. Yeah, maybe even more than that. And it's kind of funny. People hang on to them forever. Like the number of Jeremy Shockey jerseys I saw yesterday were like in the thousands. Yeah. I mean, there are more Drew Brees jerseys than anything else, but there are a ton of Alva Kamara jerseys. There are a ton of Archie Manning jerseys that you see. You'll see the Colston jerseys. You, You see the Michael Thomas jerseys. And then just random other numbers as well. Deuce, uh, you see Deuce jerseys still? It's all a couple of them. Yeah, there was one in our section. So, anyway, glad you had a good time. Rippy, how was your weekend? Pretty good. Just worked for most of it, but watched some football yesterday. Hey, Dad, did you uh, did you enjoy cooking out on Saturday? Thanks for the pictures. Uh, I did, and, and you're welcome. I had, a, I had a really good weekend. Yeah? What'd you do? Yeah. Well, I had the, the the cookout, and you know, I enjoyed watching college football all day on Saturday, and then uh, you know, Sunday morning, Chelsea wins. Sat, Sunday afternoon, Saints win. Went to the movies yesterday, enjoyed that. I had a good weekend. What What did you go see? Joker. How was it? It is really, really good, but it is really, really dark. That's not a take your kids to see it movie. Gotcha. Did you so learn the hard like, way? No, no, no. I, I had heard going in that this was not the one for uh, for the children. So, so is this a Batman movie? No, Batman is never in the movie. Bruce Wayne as a child is in the movie, but you never you never see Batman. Is that a dumb question that I asked? No, I mean because it's okay. the Joker. You you might expect to right. I mean that's kind of where we learned of the Joker. Right was right, right. through Batman. Right. Okay. So, uh, yeah, it's a guy painted up like a clown. I, I would expect it to be dark. I got a buddy that, um, I got a buddy that, uh, it was fall break this past weekend and they took their, took his family for like a quick Disney World trip and they went to Universal Studios and apparently there is a series of haunted houses this time of year at Universal Studios and one of them is nothing but like creepy clowns. Like there are hundreds of clowns and you kind of walk single file through the deal and you basically just have creepy clowns jumping out at you for the entire time. I don't want to deal with that. That doesn't sound good at all. You think Jackie Sherrill, would that be like his nirvana? He he would enjoy it. Yeah, he, he loves clowns. Yeah. What do you mean he loves clowns? He's a clown guy. He loves he like, clowns. He used to have like clown figurines and statues and whatnot on the shelves he, in his office. He, he's He's gone to children's hospitals before and performed as a clown. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I can tell you didn't know, but that's the truth, yeah. No, I just didn't know if you were going any farther with that than okay. I mean, admirable, but a little odd. Yeah. He could have gone to uh, children's hospital as a football coach and signed autographs and brightened some days as well. Yeah, whatever floats your boat, man. You think he did, 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 did he do balloon tricks also, like uh, tie up the balloons into animal shapes? I don't know. That's a good question. With his hands, I don't know how he could have. Have you ever seen his hands? They're like bear paws. 
Last time I saw Jackie Sherrill, he was uh, he was engaging in some of the uh, Texas A and M chants and traditions. Snapped a picture okay. of it. He's, he had on like an A and M maroon shirt with some jeans and boots, and he was like bent over with his hands on his knees on the sideline doing whatever it is that uh, that they do and yell and whatnot. There you go. I'll send that picture to you sometime. Hey, Dad. Yeah, please do. Lots coming up this afternoon with you. Ole Miss ran over Vanderbilt quite literally on uh, on Saturday night. Big night running the football for the Rebels. Is there a quarterback controversy in Starkville? Joe Moorhead uh, addressed that earlier today and also addressed in a fairly interesting way um, criticism of the program. Critics of the program and the way they look at it. We'll have that audio for you coming up a little bit later this afternoon. Florida wins over Auburn in the swamp. It was electric on Saturday. Florida took an early lead and never looked back. We will look around the SEC, what happened this weekend, what's coming up. We're getting to a stretch where we've got some Saturdays with some good ball games and some interesting ball games as opposed to only five games happening, and two of them are against non-conference opponents. We're finally getting to the meat of the schedule as we roll into uh, the second weekend of October. And we'll look specifically at the uh, the upcoming opponents for Ole Miss and Mississippi State this week, but also kind of looking down the line a little bit uh, over the next couple of weeks. Spend some time looking back at yesterday's NFL action. The Saints got the win. We touched on that a second ago. Not a great day for Dak and the Dallas Cowboys as Green Bay rolled into Jerry's world and walked away with a win. Vikings got to Danny Dimes. Yeah, I did that just for you, Borky, uh, yesterday, you. and he looked pretty uh, pretty human. So a bunch to, uh, bunch to get to this afternoon. What's your biggest takeaway from yesterday in the NFL? Hey, Dad, <coughs> give me one. I'm, I'm going to go full homer here, but the Saints are the best team in the NFL because – if Tom Brady went down or if Patrick Mahomes went down, I know, they, I know they lost, but they're still a really good team. Those teams would not continue to have success the way the Saints are having. When, when Breeze comes back, this, this team is going to be rolling. It looks like because we all thought, hey, if they could just get to 500 without Breeze, they're going to be okay. They're going to be well above 500. The, the division is all but in hand at this oh, point. Oh, I'll mean, say it. Your premise is they are the best team in the NFL because if the Patriots lost Tom Brady, which they haven't, then they wouldn't be as good. They have Tom Brady. But my my point is, this is not the full-strength Saints, but they keep winning convincingly. As a team, the Saints are the best team. Okay. You got an NFL hot take from yesterday, Rippy? Not really. Aaron Rodgers is still good? Yeah, I, I would stay in the NFC. Are the Saints the best team in the NFC? The Packers look pretty good. Borky, anything jump out to you from yesterday? Yeah, I told you so guy is a bit of a jerk because Danny Dimes is looking human and Lamar Jackson had a couple of good games against bad teams and now suddenly he's not worth anything. So overreacting early and saying I told you so after a couple of games is kind of stupid. Ole Miss was the only team to play in the state of Mississippi this weekend out of the group of Mississippi State, Ole Miss, and Southern Miss. We'll talk about their win over Vandy next in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Talk Mississippi. C 
Spire text line is open to you, 601-879-4395. 601-879-4395 is the number. At C Spire Business, they think your organization deserves more than a one-size-fits-all phone system. That's why they work with you to build a voice-over-IP solution that is perfect for your needs. Learn more at cspire.com slash business. Ole Miss wins 31-6 over Vanderbilt on Saturday night, and they're pretty dominant in doing so. It felt like Ole Miss really controlled the first half of that game, yet you looked up at the half and the score was only 10-6. to yeah, I mean they're going forward. They're going to have to be more multi-dimensional, but they didn't have to be the other night. And I think the coaching staff knew that. That's why I don't think Corral played at all, or at least from the sounds of it. But ran for 413 yards. If you threw through few, I can't talk today. Try that again. Threw fewer passes than Army did and won fairly handily. So you cross-reference the Army box score on this. Uh, I did not do this. Somebody did this going into the press conference and chatted it out. Huh. So Ole Miss is now a service academy? Not quite. Yeah. Not uh... A little firmer leadership there. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I thought we were going to go the entire show without mentioning that today. Uh, it's just I wasn't mentioning though. anything. I was just pointing it out. But, yeah, they've performed pretty well. It'll be interesting. I thought this was a game where you'd get quarterback clarity, but the only thing you got clarified is that you have to use John Rice Palmy's feet. And they're a little bit of balance away from being a pretty good offense. They're getting better. It's going to be interesting if they can kind of reel off one of these wins going down the stretch to kind of get back on par as far as a reasonable path to a bowl game, or they're going to be an improved team by the mid-November and really be looking back at September and kind of wondering what could have been. Hey, Dad, was there a lot of sad trombone at your party on Saturday night? No, no, no. Uh, no, I mean, about halfway through the first quarter, even though, the game, like you said, the game was close, I could tell that I had made a foolish pick and that Vanderbilt is really, really bad. <laughs> it was abundantly clear how this one was going to end. <laughs> it didn't take I, I, they long. Just, they just couldn't stop them. And then, you know, gosh, I'm, I'm really impressed with those young running backs, Ely and Snoop Connor. Ely, you sort of expected, right? Five-star kid. You knew he was going to be good. Connor was a guy that Ole Miss just sort of picked out there that didn't have a whole lot of offers, but he looks like a a really good back. And who would have ever thought, you know, going into the going into the season that comparing backfields and depth that you would that Ole Miss's backfield they have better depth than Mississippi State does. Yeah, I mean, with Kylan Hill as part of the conversation coming in, and then you know you, you thought the guys after him were okay, but no, I'm, I mean. I think if you want to put John Rice Plumley in there as part of the equation, you can. But if you just want to talk about running backs, period, Ole Miss is – there aren't a lot of running back tandems or trios, maybe just say position groups, that you would trade those Ole Miss running backs for in the SEC. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got to establish back a five-star and then a – Another true freshman that surprised people. I mean, that makes up a fairly formidable backfield. What is another interesting part about it, if you're guys going to cross-reference the state, is like, oh, Miss is actually, for all their struggles against the pass, have been very good against the pass, and State are very good against the run, and State's kind of struggled against the run. And I didn't, yeah. I don't think you would have anticipated a gap going through the year because everyone ran on Ole Miss a year ago, and it was mostly the same players. Yeah. That's a, uh, that's a good point. One other thing that stands out to me, 
is the offensive line has gotten better. If if you looked at the first half of the game against Memphis, first 30 minutes of that game when Ole Miss rushed for minus one and did absolutely nothing. It looked disorganized, no push, getting beat at every position, et cetera, et cetera. And then you watched the game against Vanderbilt or even the game against Alabama. You wouldn't think that that was the same group of people because they don't look the same at all. They're getting more experience by the game. They're getting a little bit more depth. Ben Brown playing some center. They've got finally got Jalen Cunningham, excuse me, into the rotation, which was really what was kind of killing them in the first couple games of the season. Was yeah, you had problems with the guys out there, but you also didn't have very much depth. And I imagine to some degree Plumley masks some of that with his speed and quickness. But I don't think it's disputable that they certainly have gotten better, particularly in the last two games, somewhat against Cal as well. Quick aside, baseball going on. Marcelo Zuna just hit a solo home run to give St. Louis a 3-1 to lead. Dallas Keuchel on the mound for the Braves. Dakota Hudson pitching today for the uh, Cardinals. An elimination game for the Cardinals. Braves up two games to one in the uh, in the five-game series. Um, crowd was... Okay. It, you're, you're grading on a curve here. So when I say the crowd was pretty good on Saturday night... It is in comparison to what a lot of people thought it was going to be. 47,601 in a stadium that seats 63,000 is not a great crowd. But given what the crowd was for southeastern Louisiana, what the crowd was for Cal, I thought it was a pretty good and a pretty energetic crowd on Saturday night. Yeah, it was certainly better than I expected. And then a night game brought out more students, which always makes the stadium, I guess, look more more full, and then Vanderbilt brought a minivan of people. You're going to have two fairly bare sections on the not being hyperbolic or the stadium. I think you could have fit them in a minivan if you really wanted to. I've taken trips to the square with more people in the car. It, if I told you that there were 300 Vanderbilt fans there, there is a chance that I'm overestimating the number. Well, all there was was that one little section on the front left side by the, like, kind of to the right of the students, and I couldn't point out like any sort of, and I'm not exactly looking for this stuff anyway, but you couldn't point out a group of Vanderbilt fans other than those three or four rows, which I'm just guessing here, it looked predominantly like extended family of the players and maybe sure. a few others. Yeah, family, friends, player tickets. Yeah, and after that it was just kind of... Yeah. I mean... Who, who brought more fans to... Who brought more fans to Oxford, Vandy or Cal? I think that's more of a question. Cal, uh, no, without a doubt. Oh, Cal, I, Cal had like 5,000 fans at that game. I'm not trying to be funny. Wow. There was a smattering of green and yellow for Selah that would rival where Vandy was. No, I think I would say there were more southeastern Louisiana fans there than Vanderbilt okay, fans. Okay, you're going to go there. I wasn't quite going to go there. No, I, I, I absolutely will. <laughs> okay. Absolutely. I mean, it was, it was like, hey, Dad, you probably couldn't see it on TV. It really was like three rows. You know, there were plenty of non-Vanderbilt sections in the stadium that were not full. I was just shocked for an SEC school how few people were there, I guess is my point. Hey, Dad, I would say that Cal was close to 2-1 to one to Arkansas. Wow. In terms of visiting fans. I think it was just one of those deals where it's been on the, you know, it's been on the calendar for so long, people had a really long time to prepare for it. And Ole Miss took a really good group to Berkeley a couple of years ago. and That's a trip you never all, make, you know. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I was going to say, for all the punchlines that, that people like to make jokes about with the Grove, it certainly does have a national rep- uh, reputation 
And so people are like, oh, I want to go see that one time. Well, so, I imagine for them it's just seeing college football in the South. Like, they don't really play SEC schools in general. Yeah, it's true. It's true. Um, all right, so so Saturday night, Luke Logan hits a field goal early, and then Plumley has a 33-yard touchdown run. It's 10 to nothing after the first quarter. Ole Miss goes scoreless in the second quarter. Vandy kicks a couple of field goals. Riley Gay hit from 22 yards and 43 yards. The uh, second one was as time expired. Ole Miss went for it on fourth down on their last drive, left about a minute on the clock. Vandy made three or four plays, got down in a field goal range, and hit a good field goal. Yeah, if I'm being perfectly honest, the last 45 seconds I got a head start on the food line, so I actually saw this from the television as it went through the uprights. <laughs> there you go. Fair enough. Uh, second half, different story. Uh, Ole Miss's first offensive possession, Jerry and Ely goes 78 yards on a touchdown, a drive that was two plays, 81 yards and 35 seconds. One possession later, Ole Miss goes three plays, 92 yards in a minute seven. Snoop Connor had the 84-yard touchdown run. And then Ole Miss just added one for good measure late, 429 to play Scotty Phillips' 24-yard touchdown run in the game. When you look at distribution of carries, Scotty Phillips had the most carries. He had 11 for 62 yards and a touchdown. Snoop Connor had 5 for 91 and a touchdown. And Jerry Ely had 4 for 97 and a touchdown. And then there's Plumley who carries it 22 times for 165 yards net and a touchdown as well. Yeah, I mean, the game turned when the two freshmen hit the back-to-back home runs, basically. 78-84, it's 10-6, it's 24-6 in a matter of like two minutes of game time or two minutes and change of game time in Vanderbilt. As bad as they were offensively, was never crawling out of that hole. I know Vanderbilt's offensive line is bad, but they have skill position players that they don't normally get, like NFL tight end, NFL wide receiver, NFL running back. I don't understand why they're so bad. Their inability to throw the ball down the field is staggering. Like yeah. They don't do it. They yeah, don't try it. Ole Miss started three freshmen in the secondary because of the injury to John Haynes. Like, and those are somewhat talented kids. Like, I, but they're not there yet, and not not great. I'm just saying it wasn't because of the resistance. I guess I was watching the replay. It was on last night, and Jordan Rogers was talking about something. They were talking about Jared Pinkney, and they said when he's attached, like shoulder to shoulder to the offensive line. So even if he's offset, but he's right there against a tackle on one side or the other. Vanderbilt runs the ball 81% of the time. And Tom Hart followed up. He goes, I'm assuming if you picked up on that tendency, Mike McIntyre probably did as well. They go, there he is, lined up. What do they do? Run it. I mean, it's predictable and it's bad. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you on this Monday afternoon. You can uh, text the show, 601-879-4395 on the C Spire text line. Got a text from, oh, I don't know who it's from. Lakia Henry is the unsung hero. 15 tackles in the game for Ole Miss. He was really good Saturday. He had 11 in the first half. I don't know about it. Unsung, because I think that was like I'm not discrediting what the guy's saying. He's definitely right, but like I feel like I feel like that's not. Co- I don't want to say common knowledge. I feel like he got got credit for it. Yeah, like he's been every. I guess it's just become they've become used to it because through the first half of his first major college season, he's been as good as advertised. And I guess where maybe he doesn't get enough credit is where when Mohamed Sanogo went out. He was the guy that he basically became Sonogo in the sense that he doesn't leave the field very often. He's responsible for all the checks and calls and 
you don't really replace a no-go, but there hasn't been a game where you looked up and said, man, they really miss him badly yet. They've done to pretty well to mitigate the effects. Wrote about that yesterday, but he, uh, yeah, he's been as good as advertised. And then I think the one that's probably come along and made the most progress, because I think they knew what they were getting in Henry, is Jacquez Jones. He's played pretty well after, I don't think he played a defensive snap against Memphis, and then Sonogo goes down and everything changes for him, and he's played pretty well. What do you guys do with the comparison that people have thrown out and then immediately discounted that Vanderbilt scored 38 on LSU? So I've seen both sides of this argument, and I'm not sure that either is entirely genuine. I'm sorry, genuine. There are people that have completely discounted the fact that Vanderbilt scored 38 on LSU because, well, the score was lopsided, LSU didn't care, LSU's offense is this, that, and the other. And I don't think that is entirely fair to look at it that way. But then other people who who want to make Ole Miss's defense, you know, one of the greats of all time because they didn't give up a touchdown at all to Vanderbilt and point out that, you know, I mean, they scored 38 on LSU, and that's not entirely genuine either. You mean the transitive property doesn't yeah. true like, you know, pure results? Like yeah, most things. Yeah, but it's Ole Miss is definitely a better defense against the run than they were in years past. I think people were hesitant to say that after Patrick Taylor ran for 129 and Mike Norvell just kind of stopped running between the tackles. I don't really know why. But they've been pretty good since, and a lot of that is because Benito Benito Jones has quietly put together a really productive season, which is kind of his M.O. He doesn't say a whole lot at all, but he was in there. I mean, he was in their backfield on almost every play. Yeah. He's yeah. really good. Maybe his best game of the year, I think. Yeah, I would think so. But, you know, he's been a consistent player. He was a was he a five star kid or a four star kid? He's five star. Hey Dad, do you five star? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's a good football player. Hey, let's play a quick game. Let's let's do this with Ole Miss and with Mississippi State. To this point in the season, Ole Miss sitting at three and three. Mississippi State sitting at three and two, right, Hey Dad? That's right. Four and one. Three and two. Three yeah, and two. Yeah, three and two. You get a do-over in one game. You're not guaranteed the results change, but you think the results might change. Who would you like to do-over against? I mean, it's Kansas State for Mississippi State, isn't it? I would think so, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's you can't say it's Auburn. I don't think that, you know, that doesn't really work. So, yeah, it's got to be Kansas State. Um, I think if they could go back and... I don't know what the, the do-over is, and, and what I mean by that is I don't know what they do differently. Yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, show up for the first quarter might be the right answer there, but, you know, yeah, that's, that's got to be clocks earlier. Point. Yeah, something like that, yeah. For Ole Miss, is it is it Cal or is it Memphis? I lean in the direction of Cal because I think Memphis is a pretty good football team, and I'm not entirely sure that you want to take your chances with that offense and holding them to 15 points again, although I think Ole Miss would score more against Memphis's defense than they did the first time around. The, but you get another shot at Cal and Chase Garbers is out. <laughs> well, are we holding all things considered and everything's the exact same, or do you get them with the backup? Not that it really matters. Yeah, no, I mean, I there's, get what you're asking. There's not a right answer, but I would actually probably lean towards Memphis just because – 
I mean, Garbers did set four career highs, if I feel like I've said a hundred times against that secondary. Whereas against Memphis, your defense gave you every opportunity to win, and you just couldn't produce anything offensively. And Ole Miss has grown, you know, a decent bit as an offense since, and they're certainly improving. And these, you know, eighteen-year-old kids are kind of starting to find their their way. So I think you would go. I would go Memphis, but like the like Cal isn't a wrong answer either. Yeah, both of those games were close. I mean, Ole Miss had 500-something yards of offense against Cal, if I remember correctly. I don't have it in front of me. Whereas Memphis, you did absolutely nothing. So I would probably lean Memphis, but, I mean, it's a coin flip. You'd want either one of those back. You know the interesting thing, and, uh, I mean, not that this hasn't been talked about, but when you look at where Ole Miss is right now sitting at 3-3, three and three, getting one of them, never mind winning both of them, but getting one of those two, and you're really not looking going, well... Can they get to six? Because you know New Mexico State's out there for a fifth one, and you feel like with five other opportunities you're going to get at least one, but you kind of feel like, well, they're playing better and getting better. Maybe they get a couple. Whereas right now you didn't, going into the year, feel like there was a path to bowl eligibility if you didn't at least win one of the two against Cal and Memphis, and maybe both. But the way this team is, has improved throughout the course of the year, it feels like there's still maybe a roadmap to six wins. Yeah, it's basically where you get one of these as the schedule stiffens up. If you get a momentum-building win where you beat a Missouri, an A&M, or a state where teams that, particularly at this point in the year, look very average and very very beatable if Ole Miss plays well. Like I don't think they're going to go win at Missouri, but if they play pretty good football, they'll have a. I think they'll have a chance to win the game in the second half, which is really I think all they can ask for. But um, like if you got Miss- one of those, you could still be left out of a bowl. Whereas if you beat Memphis or Cal, if you got one of those wins, odds are you were probably going to a bowl. Regardless of the outcome, if Ole Miss plays well on Saturday night at Cal. Pretty good crowd for Texas A&M the following Saturday night, right? You're talking about at Missouri? Yeah, I'm saying if Ole Miss plays well, regardless of win or loss, I mean, assuming it's not, oh, they played well but got beat by four touchdowns. Close game, win or loss, one way or the other. I got a pretty good crowd coming home for Texas A&M for another night game in two weeks, right? I would think so. Plus A&M will actually bring people. Yeah, and you can booze up in the stadium at that point. That's right. That'll be the first... Beer sales game. That doesn't hurt. But, yeah, if they go up there and they play okay, a win, this would be a really huge week for Matt Luke's. Like, this would be a pivotal moment in Matt Luke's tenure here if he were able to go on the road and win at Missouri and come back home against an A&M team where you don't really know what you're going to get. You got people drinking White Claws. It's nighttime. It's probably more full. Like, it would be more conducive to an environment. Are you ready to call it the potential for a signature win? This week, yeah, I think. I mean, I think they have a chance. I don't think I, I wouldn't. No, I don't mean. I'm saying if Ole Miss were to win at Missouri, would that be a signature win? Oh yeah, I think a hundred percent for where the program is at this stage. I mean, obviously, it's weird to say beating Missouri in football is a signature win, but for where they are right now, I think that would certainly be a signature win. John Rice Plumley's been good in his first two starts. Is this type of offense sustainable? The current version of it on against Vanderbilt, no. But as I was telling you yesterday, I had had something written where basically, because at the time we all thought Corral was healthy. Like he went through warm ups, he had practiced all week. 
we had, hadn't heard anything about the shoulder, I mean, not the shoulder, the rib cage. If he has ribs in his shoulder, that's a whole other issue. Would be fine. <laughs> and so I had this story written, basically, as we went down the field, that the current version of this likely isn't sustainable. It was a gigantic gamble for Luke to go all in on Plumley, and one I'm not sure he needed to do or had to do in this particular moment. And then, of course, the second question I ask at the press at the press conference, it's, well, he wasn't healthy. We didn't think he could sustain the hits that come with running the football in this offense, which I believe. And then he said he likes the idea of preparing both quarterbacks going forward. So from that, I took two things. I mass deleted everything on my computer. And then <laughs> secondly, like I think they know that this isn't sustainable, but I think they knew they didn't have to throw it to beat Vanderbilt. And so there was... Unless the game was going very poorly, there was probably not a whole lot of reason to play Corral if he's not completely healthy. Because Matt Luke did say he could thought he they could throw, that he could throw if they needed him to, but didn't think he could take the hits as far as running the ball. So I, that told me, at least at face value, they know that this current version is sustainable, and they probably need to play two quarterbacks because you have to be more of a passing threat. That current version of that won't work against a good defense, and particularly a top twelve run defense in the country in Missouri. I had a conversation on the sideline on Saturday night with Cole Kubelik, and we were kind of talking about the quarterback position. And he said, I mean, for my money, John Rice Plumley's the quarterback going forward. I said, yeah, but he's got to be better in the passing game. He said, but he is so dynamic in the running game, you can work around his limitations in the passing game and, and figure out a way to help him make progress there. He says, whereas Corral is just an okay runner and, you know, okay passer, above average, whatever, he said, but you can't teach 4-3. That was an interesting perspective. I guess there's two ways of looking at it. I think they need to play both of them, at least for the foreseeable future, but you know, he's watched a lot more football than me. And, and maybe for a lot of reasons. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. Craziest story of the weekend? Snoop Dogg! Maybe the strangest, maybe the funniest, maybe the most offensive story of the weekend. Everybody's doing their preseason basketball events. It used to be actual midnight madness where at midnight you would, um, you know, have the first basketball practice of the year, a little bit of a slam dunk contest, three point shooting contest, and whatnot. It has evolved in that. The NCAA ruled, uh, loosened up their rules. They don't make you actually wait until midnight on the day that practice can start. That's how this whole thing was born. But everybody still wants to do a big start-of-the-year event. And there's some pretty unique ones. Kentucky does Big Blue Madness. People camp out for tickets. 25,000 people show up. Memphis did Memphis Madness. You know, packed house, 19,000 or so at FedEx Forum. Ole Miss the last few years has done what they call square jam where they bring a portable basketball court into downtown they do it on the oxford square and a few thousand people show up and it's a pretty cool scene some others are doing that as well doing outdoor you know preseason basketball events kansas does their madness event this past friday night and they have the men's and women's teams and they do dunk contests and all that good stuff and then they have a performance at the end by the one and only D-O-double-G. Snoop Dogg at the Fog. And then on Saturday morning, Bill uh, Jeff Long and Bill Self have to issue apologies. <laughs> they were under the air quotes impression 
that Snoop was going to sing radio edit versions of his songs, that it was going to be a clean and family-friendly event. Instead, you had Snoop Dogg. I think he did three or four songs, performed for 35 minutes. There was no editing. He did the original version of Gin and Juice and a couple of other songs. There were four poles, stripper poles, brought out onto the floor with, uh, I mean, no, no nakedness out there, but scantily cladness, tight-fitting, midriff revealing, tall socks, boots, whatever, and pole dancing. You had Snoop walking around with a, um, a money gun, fake $100 bills with his picture on it instead of a president's picture, walking by the benches of the men's and women's Kansas basketball teams, kind of holding down the button and just making it rain Snoop, Snoop dollar bills. <laughs> and you had the Snoop mascot, not the Kansas mascot, but a big mascot-style dog walking around with a nasty dog T-shirt on and smoking about a foot-long blunt. <laughs> And then Jeff Long has to apologize on Sunday morning saying, we didn't know that this is exactly what was going to happen. I was under the impression that... Let me read you the exact quote. We apologize for the Snoop Dogg performance at late night. We made it clear to the entertainers, managers, that we expected a clean version of the show and took additional steps to communicate to our fans, including moving the artist to the final act of the evening to ensure that no basketball activities would be missed if anyone did not want to stay for his show. I take full responsibility for not thoroughly vetting all the details of the performance and offer my personal apology to those who were offended. We strive to create a family atmosphere at Kansas and fell short of that this evening. In related news, Jeff Long heard of Snoop Dogg for the first time on Friday night. Because there's no amount of vetting that would have cleared that performance if you were concerned about the reaction from the more conservative portion of the Kansas fan base. Brian, hey, Dad, I cede the floor to you. Don't forget, though, in this, Richard, that Kansas was a victim of, of unscrupulous agents in the NCAA process. They were a victim. You know what my favorite yeah. part of the story is? Tell me. Last week, Kansas dropped a video promoting Late Night at KU featuring Snoop Dogg in which Bill Self was rocking a T-shirt with a massive Adidas logo on it yeah, and had a gold chain with a money sign hanging from it. They I mean, in complete, in complete fairness to Snoop, he could have very much thought this was the clean version of what he normally does. Altogether possible. Like Altogether I, possible. I only said three F-words. That's clean. The mascot could have thought it was decriminalized in the state. I don't think it was... I mean, it was like a, a fake blunt, but it was a foot-long blunt nonetheless. Borky? I don't see anything wrong with it. <laughs> it's shameless. I, I'm Black Helicopter here. I think they knew exactly what they were getting. 
Of course they and did. And only had to apologize because there was a certain donor that complained. But otherwise, they wanted everything that happened to happen the exact way that it did. Of course they did. And it was awesome. I was just looking. I was doing a Twitter search for Snoop Dogg, Kansas. Here's one. University of Kansas invites Snoop Dogg. Snoop Dogg does Snoop things. University of Kansas acts shocked. Act. Good of course word. that's what they wanted. They weren't playing to the old white guys in the crowd. They were playing to their team and to potential recruits that were likely in the building. Who thought it was pretty cool that Snoop was there? Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Streaming online at supertalk.fm. Monday afternoon. Great to have you along. You can text the show, ceasefire text line, 601-879-4395. One of the best new phones is here, and ceasefire is celebrating with a fully loaded deal. Buy the latest phone and get another one free, plus 100 bucks off the newest wearable technology. Learn more at ceasefire.com. Ceasefire, customer inspired. We are glad to have you along. Sports Talk's brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Uh, Braves got a run to make it 3-2 to two on an error by the St. Louis third baseman, and then a two-run jack from Ozzie Albies makes it 4-3. to three. Atlanta leading over St. Louis, cards batting in the bottom of the fifth. Dallas Keuchel went, what, three innings? I think this guy came in in the fourth. He may have may have gotten four innings of work. They're in the bottom of the fifth now. So, um, I can't stop laughing at the Snoop Dogg stuff. Do, do yourself a favor. Do the Snoop Dogg Kansas Twitter search and just read through the comments. It's uh, it's really good. Right now, it's time for winners and losers. All I, all I, all I, all I do is. We got winners. We got losers. Americans love a winner and will not tolerate a loser. Want to hear from you on either Twitter at Sports Talk MISS or via the Ceasefire text line? Who were your winners and losers from the weekend? What did you like? What did you not like? Who makes the cut for good stuff and bad stuff? I will, um, I'll give it a go to uh, to start things out. I'll go Ole Miss running game. Rebels with 413 yards rushing against Vanderbilt on Saturday night. It was the first time that Ole Miss had gone over 400 yards against an SEC opponent since 1979. That was also, incidentally, against Vanderbilt. So 1979, 40 years between 400-yard rushing Attacks against an SEC foe, and that was pretty good on Saturday night. Puts the Ole Miss running game, uh, the combination of John Rice Plumley and Scotty Phillips and Jerrion Ely and Snoop Connor in the winners category. Borky, give me a winner. Deshaun Watson. Um, he was excellent yesterday. Ooh, had the same amount good. of touchdown passes as he threw incompletions. And that was five. He was 28 of 33 for 426 of those five touchdowns. And the Texans put up 53 points in a win over Atlanta. Would you like me to ask you not, not ask you to speak again? Tonight? Oh, no, I would love to. Um, I, I don't, don't let this hold me down. I had a, um, a lot of thoughts on that Ole Miss quarterback situation, but I don't know if 
it'll survive, but I would like to try today if you're willing to give me the chance. All right, we'll circle back to you in a little while and talk a little bit more about the oldest quarterback situation. <laughs> hey, Dad, you got a winner? Yes. Uh, <laughs> Teddy Bridgewater. Yeah, Teddy Bridgewater is my winner. Uh, you know, a few weeks ago it was going to be can the the Saints win at all without Drew Brees, and then it turned into are they going to win? Can they win in spite of Teddy Bridgewater? And now I I don't I guess I'll announce it tomorrow, but I won't be surprised if Teddy Bridgewater is the NFC play, offensive player of the week. Huge game, three hundred plus yards, four touchdowns. Looked in complete command of the offense. Not only for this year does he look good, but if you're going to start looking ahead, I think you can feel pretty good about Teddy Bridgewater in the future in New Orleans. You think that was the performance that marked he's the guy after Drew Brees? Well, I mean, the fact that he's gotten better each week, it seems. I feel like you know, you're starting to see him get command of the offense. Here's what you do. You draft a quarterback this year. That's what you yeah. do. You draft yeah. a quarterback this year, and now you have a guy that you know is competent enough if the, the rookie quarterback's not ready, that you can play him until the rookie quarterback is. Because, uh, I mean, he has gotten better every week and actually threw the ball downfield a good bit on Sunday and was accurate doing it. But still, I, he's just he's a very, 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 very good backup quarterback. Yeah. And so, yeah, you if there's somebody in this class that you believe in, you draft him, Breeze is going to retire soon. He's just going to. And you use Bridgewater until the rookie's ready and then transition from Bridgewater to the rookie, whenever that may be. Fair enough. Rippy, give me a winner. David Shaw and Stanford. Not a very good team, but that was like the most David Shaw win of all time. Have you seen their offensive line? They have seven offensive linemen available. Five of them are out for the season. Yeah. And still beat Washington. Fairly handily. I mean, it got a little weird at the end. Yeah, it wasn't that close. But what was it, 28-13? Was that the final? Does that sound right? Something like that. Two-score win. Um, yeah. Good call. Uh, I will throw my Yankees into the mix, up two games to none. And the offense has been really, really good. But I guess I'm jumping ahead here on the loser side. The Minnesota Twins have lost 15 consecutive postseason games. That's, That's hard to do. Hard to do. <laughs> How many of them were against the Yankees? 12? Mm. Have I played anybody besides the Yankees in recent years in the playoffs? They have a run against Cleveland a couple years ago. Yankees in the wild card game two years ago. So that's three of the fifteen. You got to find twelve more consecutively. I don't know those off the top of my head. If that's yeah. what you're asking. Yeah. If only there was a device for that. Hey, Dad. I know, right? Instead, give me another winner. Me give you another winner. Uh... If you've got one. Sort of or if you want to be negative, just go straight to the losers. Well, we'll do a flip of the coin here, and we can, there's a winner and a loser in the same game. Florida-Auburn, obviously Florida's the winner. Uh, Todd Grantham may be the biggest winner in there. That's a guy who's, I mean, he's got that unit playing really, really well defensively. They were, I mean, they were scary good against Auburn. Uh, but Auburn's the loser. They're going to be better than I thought they were in terms of, you know, I thought they might lose five or six games, but that's an eight and four team. Uh, regardless of what he did against Mississippi State, Bo Nix, 
is not going to have. He's not a, a, a game changer this year. He's a good. He's a good freshman. He'll get better, but he's not the game changer this year. That's going to go out there and, and make Auburn a contender to win the SEC. That's fair. Uh, Borky, you got a loser? Yeah, I've got a bunch, but I'll start with the NBA. Have you seen uh, the, this whole charade that started last night? Only bits and pieces. So if you're not politically familiar, uh, the city of Hong Kong and the residents there are trying to gain their freedom. They're even waving American flags in their protest because they are extremely successful, their economy's great, and they want to be independent of the communist oppressive regime of China. The general manager of the Houston Rockets tweeted an image in support of those people in Hong Kong that want their freedom. The NBA, Adam Silver, ESPN, all these people involved, and the NBA is supposed to be the wokest sports league, and we let our athletes speak out on social justice, and we'll move our all-star game away from Charlotte because they have a bathroom bill that says men have to go to the men's bathroom, but they do all of this business with China. And because the Rockets GM supported the protesters that want freedom, the NBA is going all out to apologize to China. And they're, they're bending the knee to this communist regime because they do business there. And so they have been, and ESPN as well, has been completely exposed as over-the-top hypocrites because they do business in China and RGM can't hurt their bottom line because he supports people that want freedom from oppression. It's a joke. You, you know that all these people are hypocrites in business anyway, but the fact that they have painted themselves as the woke sports league and they're reprimanding a general manager for tweeting an image is, is the height of hypocrisy. And they're getting exposed for it. Are people mad about it? People or are they just pretending to be mad about it? See, it actually bothers me, though. That, that does bother me, and I know Rippy might make fun of me for that, but that, that bothers me. I mean, this guy almost lost his job for tweeting support of people who are waving American flags, begging for their freedom. And yet we're going to sit here at ESPN and the NBA talk about moral superiority, and, and we're better than you, yet, oh, wait, you can't is threaten a bottle the, dollar. The, the fakeness part is what bothers me in terms of, like, internet outrage, Borky. So, like, the here who is not being genuine is the NBA. It's almost as, like, these woke progressive, like... You know, athletes, whatever people in regard to the NBA, don't actually care. They're just monetizing it. Of course that's what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, this isn't shocking news to anyone that's not naive, but... There is a level of naivete that exists, though, in our world. We'll get to uh, some of your winners and losers. Low-key best submission ever. There's no name attached to this. I'll tell you what it is. He says, loser, Bob from Bogachitta. We'll tell you why coming up a little bit later <laughs> in the Renaissance Bank studio. Sports Talk Mississippi back with you Monday afternoon. We're going to continue winners and losers in a few minutes. But Hey Dad's got to bail after this segment, and I really want us to get to this. So... We ask you to send us your winners and losers on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Jeff in Brookhaven says, loser, Bob from Bogachitta. First of all, Jeff, that's a really funny take. Second, 
there's a really good chance, unless you've been like super locked in today, that you have absolutely no idea what Jeff from Brookhaven is talking about. Earlier today, in Joe Moorhead's press conference, he was asked about dealing with criticism, whether he hears the noise, etc. And this was Joe Moorhead's answer. It's a little long. Just stick in there with it. Criticism relative to the Auburn game, in specific? Yeah, I, I think you know. Quite frankly, I mean, when you take this job, I don't know if we've had this discussion before that you know the praise and criticism are probably you know something you need to be prepared for when something happens good or when something happens happens bad. And you know, you know, the, 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 if if there was, and I'm sure there was, that the criticism of our performance in the Auburn game is, is warranted, and, and I accept that, and I point the finger at myself and. You know, we need needed to perform better against a quality opponent. But uh, there, uh, from an overall standpoint, I mean, you know, there, there's always going to be a certain uh, faction or segment of a fan base for any team in the country that's a vocal minority, and nothing you do is going to be good enough. And uh, you know, it's going to be a simmering cauldron of uh, you know unrealistic criticism, and uh, you know revisionist history and, and, and that is what it is and, and I'm not going to you know, focus my time or tensions or efforts on Bob from Bogachita's opinion of the team you know what I mean I'm, I'm going to do what I do to get the kids ready and, and understand that, that our administration our players and, and the coaching staff are excited about the direction we're going and if there's criticism that's warranted that's fine but I uh, you know I look you address, it, you address it specifically and you talk about the right now and that you're going to continue to improve and get better you know, that's part of it. And then, well, it's, there's not enough emotion. You know, what are we doing to make it better? Then you look back in the past 17 years, and we've had, after five games, have been better than three and, oh, three and two, two times. Uh, and then when you talk about building and, you know, not going back to the past, well, then don't worry about the past. Concentrate on now. So it's, it's damned if you do, damned if you don't. But like I said, you can't really worry about that stuff. You, you're confident in the plan and, you know, just keep doing what we're doing. And, know that uh you know the majority of the fan base and the people we encounter and media and uh you know administrators across the country and peers in the coaching industry and people are, are incredibly excited about what we're doing Whew. there is a lot to pa- unpack there that was about two minutes hmm. and in that two minutes joe moorhead used the phrase simmering cauldron of criticism bob from bogachita revisionist history damned if you do damned if you don't and talk to talked about the critical portion of the fan base being, just like in every fan base, a vocal minority. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you start on all of that, Hayden? Well, I mean, first and foremost, to me, I mean, especially if you're looking at this from a Mississippi State standpoint and how much grief people gave Hugh Freeze over you know, constantly looking for his name on Twitter and seeking out criticism, I think you sort of want to have your coach telling you, yeah, I'm not really worried about what people are saying online or you know what they think about this program beyond you know are they showing up to support the program every every Saturday I get that as a coach um it can be a little of a slippery slope because it comes it could come across as I don't care what our fans think uh then you know I, I don't think that's the point he was trying to make I think the point he's trying to make is I know there's criticism out there but I'm not focused on it I think but then he. But when he when he says he's not focused on it, and 
if that was out there after the game, I didn't know about it, but then goes on to cite specific examples, that tells you that he does know about it. So He does know. I think what you know, go back to SEC media days and the comments he made about, you know, should I have been so vocal in talking about championships and, and, and trophies and things of that nature and, and, and you know basically tried to walk that back a little bit. And and you go back there was a, a comment he made last year that I, I recall that I I don't ever you know, Rippy's the, the journalist of the two of us, so I don't ever really transcribe the, the, the press conferences, but he, he had a quote last year that I had I went back and listened to it and, and put it all out there, basically talking about how you know, Mississippi State as a program doesn't doesn't have a lot of championships. Only one SEC championship in school history, and it was, you know, almost uh, eighty years ago now. So there's not really a uh, what's the word I'm looking for here. There's not really a template, you know. And people who say, "Well, we want to win championships," okay, how do you do that? Mississippi State doesn't hasn't shown the ability to do that. So what do you know about winning championships? You know, so. I think he hears criticism, and you know he's active on social media, so he certainly sees what people are tweeting. People like me, people you know, regular fans and stuff like that. He's he's not he's not oblivious to it. I just think he's trying to say from like a thousand feet above, I'm focused on what I'm doing, and you know I I know that this stuff exists. I know it's out there, but it's not it's not driving me. I'm not worried about what I'm not going to make my decisions based off of. What the people in the stands are saying, which is smart because that's the old saying, you know, if you listen to the fans, you'll be sitting with the fans. Hmm. Yeah, in- interesting perspective. I I actually give Joe Moorhead a pretty significant amount of credit here for an interesting answer to that question. I mean, he very yeah. easily could say, "Look, we're we're not worried about what criticisms happening outside the program. Our focus is on." trying to get better each week and trying to win football games. I just meant to follow up with him to ask if he had actually ever been to Bogachetta. I'm going to say probably not. But for somebody who's not from Mississippi, points for the way he pronounced it. He got the pronunciation correct. I mean, that's that's not the most obvious choice. I mean, think about B's in this state. He could have said Brookhaven or Biloxi or, you know, there were were other options there with the B. He went with Bogachetta. Yeah. Not that, not to go like Skip Bayless here, like hang on every word. But would it be received any differently if he just said like so and so on Twitter instead of just like some small town in if Mississippi? Had, would that would that make any difference in the way the comments I, are perceived? I, I don't know. That's a, I mean, it's a good question. Um, if he had said, you know, like if I'm listening, to, and I, I don't know if this is a real Twitter handle, I'm just making. But if I had listened to MSU Dog One. On Twitter, you know, if he, does he say? Does it mean the same thing? That might be even taken as a little bit more specific. To be honest, Bob and Boca Chitta, I'm sure there is a Bob who lives in Boca Chitta, who might be an MSU fan, who might not even like where the program's headed. But he's just throwing out a name there. If he mentions somebody mm-hmm. no, on Twitter, yeah, just going no, for the alliteration. I know, I know, I know, I know. Yeah, no, yeah. I'm with you. Um, anything? Any other takeaways from press conference today? Um, from an injury standpoint, State looks like they're in pretty good shape. Uh, they, they. They he said that he has an idea of who he wants to be as the starter, but he did not give that away to us. But I do get the impression that uh, if Stevens is is full go, we're going to see both quarterbacks on Saturday up there in Knoxville, and and we'll probably see them both on the field at the same time. As like a gimmick deal, or well, I mean Stevens has played some wide receiver before. Uh, if you're you're asking me, if I got to put put the headset on and be the coach, 
My thought would be Stevens is a wide out with Schrader under center because that gives you more of the running option. Uh, Stevens is capable of catching a pass, although you know the way he's been taking hits this year, I don't know if you're. Yeah, really I was do gonna. I was gonna ask that. Why would you put him in the game as a wide receiver unless it was like as a, a decoy or a, a gimmick play? Yeah, given the number of hits that he's taken this season. Yeah, it's 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 a good question, but I do know that that's that's part of that's what they keep saying is going to be part of the game plan. That Morehead says said in the past, I don't like to rotate quarterbacks, but I don't mind playing them both on the field at the same time. So, hmm. I think it's more likely you'll see them both on the field together than you'll see one guy gets a series, the next guy gets a series. We'll get into this a whole lot deeper as we move through the week. You got any early thoughts on this game against Tennessee? It's huge. It's it's a, a defining game for, for Joe Moorhead. You win this game, you're 4-2. and two, And I was talking about this with some people today. You know, CBS exercised the six-day option. And my thought process is it doesn't really matter what State does. You know, if LSU wins, State's probably going to be the 230 game against LSU because LSU's going to be a top-five team, maybe even a top-four at that point. And from a 1,000 feet above, if State beats Tennessee, well, you've got a 4-2 and two Mississippi State team hosting LSU, you know, first road SEC game for the Tigers. I mean, there's some storylines there that if you're not as dialed into football in, in Mississippi as everybody as we, you and I are, then you, you just look at it and go, okay, that, that could be a good game. Last time LSU went there, they lost. Whereas, you know, at 3-3, three and three, it's probably a little different. But I don't think State can do anything for this time. I think it's all about what happens in the LSU-Florida game. But it's a huge game. Huge game for Moorhead. If he wins this game and you're 4-2 and two, and then you see the path to seven wins, you lose this game, and then it it, it's, it gets a lot darker uh, going forward, and then you're probably struggling to get to 6-6. Six and six. Yeah, the criticism question will would probably have to be asked again next week. Probably so, yeah. No doubt. All right, hey, Dad. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you later, boys. we got a lot more time with you, though. We'll get to your winners and losers from the weekend. A bunch of submissions on the C Spire text line. Not too late to send them in. 601-879-4395. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Huge moment in the NLDS game between the Cardinals and the Braves. Best of five series with Atlanta leading 2-1. to one. Braves had the bases loaded with two out. St. Louis went back to the bullpen after a, uh, a walk to load the bases. Adam Duvall, who has had a penchant for big hits already in this series, got behind in the count 0-2, laid off a pitch outside the zone, and then swung and missed. Atlanta left them loaded, but the Braves lead 4-3 to over the Cardinals in what is an elimination game for St. Louis, down two games to one in the series. So St. Louis going to try and get after Atlanta's bullpen, trailing 4-3 to as we go to the bottom of the 7th. I think it's bottom of the 7th. Ah, bottom of the 6th. Head to the bottom of the 6th. All right, uh, let's go to some of your... Text messages on the C Spire text line. Your winners and losers from the weekend. Uh, loser Joe Moorhead has lost four games he should have won. Show no uh, no showed one that should have been competitive at least. Still trying to force the Stevens experiment when it's crystal clear that Schrader is the best chance for this team to win. Then has the nerve to say he doesn't care what fans think. Clearly he doesn't get it at all. He better not lose another game. Those fans expected to win. He'll care then, because Cohen certainly will. There's an angry face at the end of that message. 
The idea that he better not lose another one, well, Alabama's on the schedule. Cling to that one too tightly. But I certainly understand the idea that don't need to lose this one to Tennessee coming up this weekend. Um, probably can't lose to Ole Miss either. Probably. I, I say you can't. I mean, oh, well, you Joe certainly Moore can. Not losing his job. No, but talking about earning favor and it's just a very vocal minority of the fan base that really changes if you go six and six and one of those six losses is to Ole Miss this year. That changes a lot. Joseph in Oxford, you guys have completely revitalized my interest in football and I haven't followed it for years until I started listening to your show. Thanks. Appreciate that, Joseph. Well, he's a loser because we know nothing about it. Jeez. No, he's a winner for listening. I'll take single-handed <laughs> credit for that. You're welcome, man. Um, Dan in Charleston says, Bob and Bogachitta may be a Rutgers fan. Winner. It's from Jeff, traveling on I-55. Coach O coaching at 11 a.m. and then going to see his son play at McNeese State that night. A little two for there. Uh, let's see here. Definitely been to Bogachitta signing a lineman from West Lincoln. Joe knows Lincoln County. Huey and Hamilton says loser Dallas Cowboys. Jay and Tupelo, losers. All the Ole Miss fans putting too much emphasis on the Vanderbilt win. Winners, all the Ole Miss fans letting the season play out and see where this thing goes. Learn a lot about the Rebels this Saturday. Headed to Missouri. Um, Chad, we'll get to your question shortly. Jay Gruden is a winner. He doesn't have to coach that sorry football team in Washington, D.C. anymore. I think he's a good coach in an incompetent franchise. Or I guess getting paid now not to coach by an incompetent franchise. I think he'll land somewhere else. Um... As a head coach? Yeah, and do fairly well. Let's see here. Uh, there's another loser, Dallas Cowboys. Lucas in Union. Winners, the Swamp. Loudest I've heard that stadium in a while. I think there's an argument to be made that it's the loudest that that stadium has been since Ole Miss played there at night in 2015. I heard somebody else make that, uh, that comparison, that that was really the only time that Florida fans had just big time gotten into a game when a top five opponent was ro rolling in. That is that is an environment that can absolutely affect the outcome of a ball game. You know, people talk about home field, road field, or home field advantage, road teams, tough to win on the road, all that good stuff. Sometimes that's a little overplayed. There are certain places, though, that do have the ability to legitimately affect the outcome of a game. Tiger Stadium, when it's right, is one. The Swamp, when it's right, is one. When Steve Spurrier was the head coach at Florida, they filled that place up every single game, and it was, I mean, the, the winning percentage at home for Florida was just off the charts. They didn't lose many games, period. But they almost never lost at home. I don't know that... Sanford Stadium in Athens necessarily has that same reputation. Tennessee certainly doesn't have that reputation anymore. So part of it is having good football teams. Um, winner, Borky's Ed Ogeron impression, however unintentional. 
Let's see here. Any other winners and losers that I've missed? Uh, A few more have come in since you've been scrolling down. All right. Dan Mullen, winner. Agreed. His offense is a work in progress. They didn't run it particularly well in that game. Michael P. Ryan had the big 88-yard touchdown run that made the overall rushing numbers look better. I was listening to a podcast, quick breakdown on a bunch of different games. Outside of that 88-yard run, Florida had like 40 yards rushing and averaged you know, less than three yards per carry. But defensively, they're really, really good. And if you go back and watch that game, Florida schemed Auburn like crazy. They got the matchups that they wanted. They got themselves in position to make big plays. Dan Mullen's a heck of a football coach, period. Jeremy and Jackson, winner. Saints as a team without Drew, teamwork. It's also helped that they've played the best defense in the league for the last three weeks, even yesterday. I mean, they gave up 24 points, one of which was a garbage time touchdown when the game was in doubt. And the other tu- one of the other touchdowns came after Alvin Kamara was hit in the hands and tipped the ball up in the air and gave the Bucks a possession on the Saints like 25. So another really good day. Six sacks on Jameis yesterday. Um, Mike Evans caught zero passes in the game. Didn't show up on the stat sheet. So that's, you know, teamwork, sure. But they're just playing really good defense that they are able to will themselves into winning these football games that with or without Drew Brees, they're winning regardless because nobody's scoring on them. Other side of the Dan Mullen coin, loser Dan Mullen for saying the hit on Trask was dirty when the Auburn kid got pushed down into his knees. Yeah. Just Dan being Dan. That's the thing. So so let me go back just a second. Dan Mullen, really good football coach. Just don't whine. He whines too much. Uh, Winner, Cincinnati for beating the reigning national champion UCF Knights. That's couple of losses now for UCF. Uh, let's see here. Loser, me, took Borky's advice on some picks. Borky responded, I went 5-2 and two this weekend. I did. Lost the first two. I was, uh, for some reason, I took the Michigan-Iowa over. And Nate Stanley looks like he is trying. I hope the over was 12. Was... I hope the total was 12. No, no, I lost that one uh, by about 34 points. Um. Nate Stanley looks like he's trying to show prove to everybody that he can throw the football with his opposite arm. Mm. That's how bad. I mean, he he's horrendous. Michigan's just as bad on offense. It was the ugliest game I've I've ever watched in my life. But um, yeah, otherwise did really well. Um, Justin and Savannah losers refs at the Georgia Tennessee game. Heard a lot of complaining about the officiating in that game. All right, I'm, I'm going to have to make an edit on this so that it is factually accurate because it says Huddle House, but actually it was IHOP. He says, winner, IHOP in Oxford for serving the breakfast that made Shea Patterson a Wolverine. <laughs> well played. Well played. Speaking of that, losers in the, the Tennessee game was mentioned um, the SEC Network and people that get to talk on the SEC Network, um, because the narrative after that game, I don't know if you saw it, and I really like who I'm about to, to say, but Dari Noka immediately after the game and Peter Burns this morning both said something along the lines of, 
Tennessee is a very improved football team, and you could see it on Saturday. They got beat by four touchdowns at home against a division rival in year two under their head coach. They have not improved at all. They are a dumpster fire. Just because the the first quarter was kind of funky doesn't take away from the fact that they got beat by four touchdowns at home against a division rival. What are we talking about improved Tennessee? They're awful, and they were awful again on Saturday. Mauer had a couple of good throws early, and then Georgia well, he almost de- died. It, yes, and then Georgia decided to show up and play, and look at what happened. They're not any better. They're this year's Arkansas. It's just embarrassing. Why are you giving them credit for being less bad than they were in Week One when they lost to Georgia State? It's ridiculous. Keith and J.S. Mullen is the Trump of college football. Real good at what he is there to do. Just shut your mouth. Um, Green Bay must be announced as a winner, guys. Okay. They were good. Really good. Winners. Colts defense shutting the Chiefs offense down last night. Yeah, Mahomes turned his ankle and wasn't the same after that. A couple of questions have come in. This one is an interesting one. If the Egg Bowl were this week, what would the line be? We'll ask our resident gambling expert, Brian Scott Rippey, that question after this in the Renaissance Bank studio. Just after 5 o'clock with you Monday afternoon, how about a little coolness in the air in Mississippi on this 7th day of October? It's finally arrived. It was a little aggressive last night, but uh, Jane and the kids were out of town. And when that front finally started to blow through and a little rain was coming in, it was just cooling off a little bit. Straight to the back porch, built a fire, and just let it burn. Didn't need a fire. A little bit of rain blowing in on me. It's all right. I was so ready for it. It's about midnight last night. I just sat there and stared at the fire for like 45 minutes. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank Online. MSLandBank.com, Mississippi Land Bank where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing or refinancing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help. It's what they know. It's what they do. If you're a farmer with equipment needs, ready to buy a new piece of property to add to the size of the farm, maybe you need to refinance an existing loan or get a production loan, let the folks at Mississippi Land Bank help you out. You can find a branch location near you at mslandbank.com, Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Busy week coming up on uh, Super Talk Mississippi. On Wednesday, you can join the JT Show and visit Mississippi in Biloxi for the 23rd annual Cruising the Coast. For more information, visit cruisingthecoast.com. And then on Friday, JT will be at the uh, Mossy Oak Mall in West Point. You'll hear about the Mossy Oak Fall Classic, Gary's Pawn and Gun Liberty Safe Sale, and Adventure ATV's Polaris Clearance Event. Join in for food, fun, and prizes this Friday at the Mossy Oak Mall in West Point. And then also, one more thing you need to put on your calendar. With the heartbreaking stories from the families and businesses impacted by the recent flooding in the Mississippi Delta, several folks, including our very own Steve Azar, banded together to put on a benefit concert for the victims. The One Mississippi Singer-Songwriter Benefit Concert will be Saturday, November 2nd at the Gin at Dunleith, in Leland with Steve Azar, along with hit artists like Anthony Smith, Eden Smith, and many more. Tickets are only $20. 100% of the proceeds will benefit the South Delta Disaster Recovery Fund. 
For more information, go to the Super Talk Mississippi Facebook page or check out Steve Azar's Facebook page. Great cause there and an opportunity to uh, help out our fellow Mississippians. All right, time for the college football fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find out why the best-selling trucks are built Ford Tough. You really should do yourself a favor. If you're in the market for a new truck and you've not been behind the wheel of an F-150, go and test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Uh, You may be in a Ford F-150 right now thinking it's time to upgrade. I can vouch for that. I've had... Oh, goodness, the last four trucks I've had, three trucks I've had, have all been F-150s. There's a reason that they are the best-selling trucks in America. Test drive one today at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. All right, what about the weekend in the SEC? Florida wins 24-13 over the Auburn Tigers at the Swamp on Saturday. Kyle Trask was 19-31 of for 234 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, and played... The last part of the first half, like the last couple of minutes of the first half and all the second half, with a bum knee, went in, got it checked out, put a brace on it, came back in, and there were no shortage of running opportunities in Dan Mullen's offense with Kyle Trask, uh, despite the knee injury after kind of getting rolling up, uh, rolled up by Marlon Davidson earlier in the ballgame. Bo Nix, 11 of 27, 145 yards, one touchdown pass, but he was picked off three times in the ballgame. Auburn ran for 124 yards, led by Booby Whitlow's 81 yards on 18 carries. Cam Martin had five carries for 29 yards, Bo Nix 10 for 18. Anthony Schwartz was pretty non-existent in the game, and he played a big role in Auburn's win against Mississippi State. Michael Pirine led the way for Florida, 14 carries for 130 yards, but 88 of those 130 came on one carry. And outside of P. Ryan, not a lot of rushing offense. What did you guys think about the Florida-Auburn game on Saturday? Rippy, I know you were really high on Auburn and were convinced that they were going in and were going to have no trouble. And it turned out to be kind of quite the opposite. They trailed the entire game. They did. I think they lost because Bo Nix, oh, among other reasons, they gave him a couple of really explosive plays and then just kind of one of those games where you, your quarterback's 18. So Florida's good, though. I think I probably underestimated Florida, to say the least. What about this weekend heading to Baton Rouge? LSU probably wins, but I think that's probably a closer game than the line. Well, I don't know what the line is, but it's like thirteen and a half, isn't it? Okay, it's a huge number. Let's see, Borg. I'm not sure where that one is right now. I'll click quickly on that. It was seven. Yeah, games. That when it opened, at least what I saw yesterday. Let's see here. They are playing a night game, a seven o'clock Central Time kickoff. And LSU is a 13-and-a-half-point favorite. Wow, that's a lot. It's a big number in a top-ten game. Whew. It's not a lot of respect for Florida's defense, is it? I think it's more of a lack of respect on the other side. Just thinking that Florida's not going to be able to do anything offensively? Right. LSU's so explosive. I mean, look, Florida beat Auburn. That was great. They've got a lot of athletes on defense, but Bo Nix has been teetering on a game like this for a while, and he's a young quarterback and threw three interceptions. I just 
Kyle Trask has been fine, but do you see Kyle Trask going into Baton Rouge and, and putting up points that can even somewhat keep up with how good and explosive that LSU offense is? I think that's probably more so what it is. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you there, but LSU has not faced a defense like what Florida's going to roll out there. Feels yeah, pretty I, safe I don't to think, say that. Right. I don't think they anticipate. LSU going in there and putting up a 50 spot or anything. But this is by far the best offense that Florida has seen so far. And on the flip to side, as you the, mentioned, it's the best defense that LSU has seen so far. Yeah, I mean, I was going to give you the, the transitive property thing again, which we know doesn't work, but I mean, Vanderbilt scored 38 on LSU's defense. <laughs> Fair enough. That was 11 a.m., and it was in Nashville. The uh, the environment that Florida fans delivered for Auburn on Saturday will be at least equaled on Saturday night in Baton Rouge. That place will be lit. What about the rest of the SEC from over the weekend? Georgia wins 43-14 over Tennessee. Tennessee had an early lead in the ballgame. They were up, what, 14-10. And, Borky, you're taking umbrage with the line of thinking that Tennessee showed a pulse, that they showed improvement in the game against Georgia. Well, I think it's just utterly ridiculous that they can lose by four touchdowns at home and and the talking point the next day is not, and Jeremy Pruitt's year two, Georgia's walking into their stadium with ease and coming out with a win. Instead, it's, oh, well, they're improved. They're getting better. All right, they beat Chattanooga, me. got smoked by Florida, got smoked by Georgia, but they had a touchdown and a lead in the first quarter. So, look, they're getting better, man. It's just All right, ridiculous. Tell me, tell me how that line of thinking about Tennessee is different from the line of thinking with Ole Miss after the Alabama game. It's not that. It's not all of that much difference, if we're being totally honest. But Ole Miss was. Uh, a lot better against Alabama than they have been in years past, and I think that's kind of part of it, right, is nobody expects Ole Miss to be on the same pace as Alabama. This is their first year removed from a multi-year bowl ban. They're still on probation. They have the vast majority of their roster are freshmen and sophomores. They started a freshman quarterback for the first time in his career. Their running back is a freshman. Their receivers are all young. There's context that has to be applied here. And with Tennessee, they – I mean, Butch Jones wasn't great, but it's not like Jeremy Pruitt was handed some kind of dumpster fire. He had no recruiting restrictions whatsoever. Tennessee in year two is supposed to be at least competitive against everybody on their schedule, regardless if Matt Luke was the coach or anybody. There was no way Ole Miss was going to be able to compete with Alabama on that field a couple of weeks ago. And they went in, and they were relatively competitive throughout, and they did it with a true freshman quarterback. It, it's kind of the same thing, though. Ole Miss's game against Alabama should have put, been put into proper context, and I think we did an okay job of doing that. Yeah. And then um, Ole Miss turned around and, and won and did so well. I really would like to see Georgia do more with Jake Fromm. He was 24 of 29 for 288 yards and two touchdowns. He's really good, and maybe Georgia just doesn't have to do more with him. Maybe they're diverse enough offensively with that running game with Harrion and Swift in the backfield that, you know, it's just kind of whatever. 
But there's going to come a point where Georgia is going to have to have Jake Fromm go out and throw for 350 and three touchdowns. They could put Justin Fields in instead. Yeah, I don't think that's an option. I would have gone with him. I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but man, I guess if it's not broke, don't fix it. But you know what's Fromm's got like three losses in his career. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good, and I think could do more than they're asking him to do. Maybe even a lot more. But I think your point's a relevant one. Sports Talk Mississippi. We'll continue with this and more to the college football fix. Missouri beat Troy 42-10 on Saturday. They scored 21 in the first quarter, 21 in the second quarter, and then a late hit on Kelly Bryant where really awkwardly bent his knee back. Uh, A penalty was called, knocked him out of the ballgame. He uh, did not play at the end of the first half, did not play at all in the second half, and Missouri was held scoreless for the uh, the remainder of the game. It appears, based on all the reports out of Columbia, that Kelly Bryant is going to play this week and is fully ready to start practice. Um, so if you were an Ole Miss fan counting on Kelly Bryant not playing in the game against the Rebels on Saturday night, doesn't look like that's going to be the case. However... Missouri did lose Kale Garrett, a separated pectoral muscle, I think is what I read. That's right. Um, surgery and out for the year, or expected to be out for the year. On Kale Bryant, Garrett, though, a quick question on that. Um, it looked ugly, and he was on crutches. And he's not yeah. a running quarterback, so to speak, but Missouri does use him in the run game, and he's... He, not bad at it, for sure. He's effective. So you would have to wonder, right, Is even if he's in the game, seven days removed from being on crutches, he can't be full effective, can he? I don't know. I, you know. There were people that said leaving the ballpark, he walked with no limp on Saturday night. It could be that the crutches were precautionary during the uh, second half of that game. I think they've called it a knee strain. Um. At least to this point, we've not been told anything or led to believe that um, there's any sort of ligament damage, you know, ACL, MCL, UCL, etc. Um, and you know, good for Kelly Bryant because such a good player. From an arm talent standpoint, he is the clearly the second best quarterback that Ole Miss has faced this season. I mean, two is kind of in a class all by himself. Um, but after that, it's no question Kelly Bryant. Kale Garrett, who I mentioned a second ago, had um, he has three defensive touchdowns this season, led Missouri in tackles, led them in interceptions. He's got three on the year and had two against Troy on uh, on Saturday, and I think he was up in the mid forties in number of tackles. Like legitimately, a guy who was going to be in the conversation for Defensive Player of the Year in the SEC that nobody's heard of, unless you're a Missouri fan or just a college football, like, junkiest of junkie. But um, 39 total tackles, one sack, uh, one fumble recovery, three interceptions. Two of them went for touchdowns. Yeah, three total touchdowns scored on the year. Um, 
So that's a loss for uh, for Missouri. Matt Luke uh, compared that uh, today to um, kind of like Ole Miss losing Momo Sonogo. You know, kind of the captain of that defense and the guy that makes everything tick. Ole Miss has been able to function pretty well without him. We'll see if Missouri is able to do that as well. LSU beat Utah State 42-6. to By the way, our picks from the uh, weekend, Rippy gets the uh, the trophy this week. He goes 4-1. and He had LSU covering, Auburn covering. That was his only loss. Had Missouri covering against Troy, uh, Georgia covering against Tennessee, and Ole Miss covering against Vanderbilt. Mm. Borky went three and two. Haydad went three and two, and uh, I took a couple of flyers this week and uh, got burned on both of them. Went what, two and three. What were the two I lost? I know Auburn. Borky, you had LSU. That was a cover. You had Auburn. That was a loss. You had Troy. Did I really? What an idiot! That was a loss. <laughs> you had Georgia. That was a win, and you had Ole Miss. That was a win. Yeah, what an idiot! You're not pleased with your past self. No. What is that? And then I went two and three. I went out on that limb all by myself with Utah State. That was dumb. Uh, well, they had it kind was, of funky early. Hey, what was yeah, it, seven to six after one? Something like that. And I uh, I was out on that Tennessee limb at 24 and a half by myself as well. That was closer to being a thing than – I was watching some of that game on my laptop as the Ole Miss game was happening, and – that was closer to being a thing than like, like it was closer to covering than like you probably yeah thought. Well, and Tennessee almost came with a mighty backdoor cover. They had the what four plays inside the five to end the game and couldn't stick it in the end zone. I didn't watch that part. That that sounds rough. Yeah, bad beat. Um, I, look, I, I can't give myself credit on this at all because I picked Auburn to win minus the two and a half. Um. For recreational purposes, where it counted, I might have gone the other way and taken Florida. But for our purposes, two and three. Respect the game. Um, this guy's changing his picks. Just thinking more intently about them in the final decision-making process than what we spit out on the radio sometimes. That doesn't sit well with me, Borky. I think a suspension's in order. Yeah, it sounds okay, good to me. I'll just not make picks on the radio this Friday. <laughs> um, Ohio State covers again. They beat Michigan State thirty-four to ten. They're good. They're really good. Oklahoma gave up two fourth uh, fourth quarter touchdowns, and as a result, did not cover against Kansas. No trouble for Wisconsin. They stay undefeated with or uh is that right? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. They're on a collision nothing. course for the Big Ten with Ohio State in a few weeks. But speaking of Kansas, by the way, did you see Les Miles fired as OC after the game? He did. He probably had had a hand in the snoop thing. His name was also Les. Why are you firing somebody already in that early in year one if you're Les Miles? You're at Kansas. Maybe the offense was just untenable for him. Wanted to get it a little more pro style, a little more run heavy. I guess. They weren't running enough toss pitch. That just seems incredibly premature, but I, again, know nothing about either one of, like, Les or Kansas or what he's doing in Kansas. Paul Goldschmidt at second. Yadier Molina at the plate. Two out. 
And Molina lifts one to right, and a run's going to come around to score, and the Cardinals are going to tie it at four. How many times have you seen him do that? In the bottom of the eighth, Yachty Molina. Where, where does he rank among Cardinals fans in terms of most loved all time? I mean, Pujols' air, like same well, what about? Man. I mean, you had Ozzy. I mean, I know Ozzy Smith was before your time. But... I'm not saying that's a different air or different stratosphere. Just like recent young person comparison, I think he's up there. If you're just talking about how like much the fans like him, yeah, I'm not obviously. I mean, he's probably his reputation is may get him into the Hall of Fame with not Hall of Fame numbers. I mean, if you're going like all time Cardinals, Stan Musial's up there clearly, Ozzy Smith clearly up there, David Freeze, despite a you know, much different career than some because of his heroics in the World Series, you know, will always have a spot in the heart of Cardinals fans. But Yadier Molina, I mean, he just has delivered over and over and over and over for years now. Matt Carpenter now at the plate in a tie game in the bottom of the eighth. Ceasefire text lines open 601 879 4395. We just get a text that says, Yachty, more clutch than a Peterbilt. <laughs> Jeremy and Hamilton, Richard is too old and too uncool to use the word lit in any manner other than to reference his weekend fire pit adventures. Jerry would have been better if I'd said, as the kids say. Uh, Greg and Nettleton. Borky, I'm not sure what point you were making, but he says you're cooking with grease, Brother Borky. Uh, so proud. Great point. Got one fan out there. Um, we got a Go Gators mixed in there. Not to be confused with Go Gator. Anything else on the national front? It's, it was a. It's not a great weekend. We did get a team eliminated from the pod at the top, though. UCF, Florida. I mean, not Florida. Auburn. Excuse me. Notre Dame smoked Bowling Green, fifty-two to nothing. Yeah, they're still there, and you called it. They're going. They're going to finish the season undefeated. That's the wild card in the whole playoff scenario thing, and I'm sure we'll do that this week again. Notre Dame. I'm gonna go undefeated. The rest of the way, yes. Oh, 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 yeah, yeah. I thought you meant undefeated. Undefeated. Oh no, no. After the loss to Georgia, they're gonna. They're. It's looking like they're going to go undefeated. Yeah, I think they're winning against Michigan in the Big House. Notre Dame's good defensively, and I think offensively they're better than Michigan. Um. So what do you do with them? They're gonna be a thorn in the committee's side, I think. No, they're t- they gotta have another uh, one loss. Notre Dame not getting in this year. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank Studio. Unless you have chaos. Tech talking about the all-time greatest Cardinals. But not necessarily all-time greatest Cardinals, just all-time fan-favorite Cardinals. Like, who occupies that place in the memory of Cardinals fans? 
I mentioned Ozzie Smith. We were talking about Yadier Molina after his big hit to tie the game up in the uh, bottom of the eighth at four. Braves, by the way, have the leadoff man on second. And a 4-4 game in the top of the ninth. Is that Acuna that led the inning off with the hit? Yeah, because Albies is the plate now. So anyway, text message came in, had uh, Bob Gibson in there. He says, uh, I'm headed to a meeting, but I heard your comment about that. He said, uh, Yadier Molina, also invaluable to pitching. Vote for Jim Edmonds. He really embraced St. Louis when he got there. tell you something that was uh, was cool on Saturday night. Mentioned on Friday that uh, Patrick Willis was there. So they at the end of the first quarter they did Patrick Willis's like announcement where he's out on the field and gets to wave to everybody and they talk about all his accomplishments. People from the College Football Hall of Fame, the National Football Foundation were there to present him with his certificate and a frame and all that good stuff. And so he's standing out there and he's waving to the crowd and he holds it up and then he hands the, the plaque off and he kind of steps out by himself out at about the 20-yard line. And he's waving his arms up and down and up and down. And, yeah, everybody's cheering. And then he starts, like, on a sprint. He sprints, like, 10 yards. And then he goes into his kind of modified Ray Lewis pregame deal, uh, which is what – you get a lot of players that do in the NFL when they do the starting lineups. They kind of run out of the tunnel and they'll do some sort of a little dance or a little whatever. I asked him about it. I was like, that was pretty cool. You got people fired up. He said, that was my Hulk smash. He said, that's what I did to let everybody know that I was there and it was time to play. And it was really neat. It was cool to visit with Patrick a little bit. Uh, Quinn says, dude, Patrick Willis could still play if he wanted. Uh, somebody like else it. sent a message. Said Willis could pad up right now and still be first team All SEC. He might could be first team All Pro NFL, and just one of the most humble guys you will ever come across. Super cool uh, story for them. Uh, Louis says Albert Pujols would have had a statue beside Stan had he not chased what amounts to pocket change for professional athletes. Uh, that wasn't pocket change. That's also not really what happened. They kind of moved past him. Yeah, the Cardinals... He, it was a two-part. Both both of them played hands in it. The Cardinals were willing to, what, do five years and a $100 million or so? I don't remember what the exact figures were, but I actually reread up on that when the Angels went to uh, St. Louis. for the. That was the first time he'd played there since he went over there, which seems like a million years ago. But yeah. It was a... Two part deal, if I remember. Well, correctly. and and ultimately you had the uh, the Angels do what was it a ten year or twelve year deal for? I just two, remember it being a bad year deal. Yeah. Although he's still playing and he's still productive, but the numbers have never been the same. <laughs> Giving it to that guy on the wrong side of thirty, just you're right. You're right. Uh, yeah. If you if you jumped in, somebody some folks have been texting me some names that we threw out. So the idea was when Yadier Molina. M- Molina got the base hit to tie the game at 4-4 in the bottom of the eighth. Scored Paul Goldschmidt on the on the play. I just asked the question because it just dawned on me immediately with regard to Molina. Cardinals fans just love him. He's been there so long. He's had so much success. 
He's been a mainstay behind the plate. He's come up with huge hits. I'm not saying that he's the most beloved Cardinal of all time, but I feel like he's up there in the conversation among Cardinals fans as kind of your favorite. There are a couple of names that go on that list. Stan Musial, my guess for most that at least remember him playing would be at the top of the list. Somebody mentioned Bob Gibson. I mentioned Ozzie Smith. Um, somebody sent me a message that Willie McGee. We've gotten a Mark McGuire submission, you know, whatever. You always forget how many, not to interrupt, but you always forget how many Cardinals people are in this neck of the woods still. Oh, there are tons. Tons. Um, but I think Yadier Molina is in that group. I had a message from, uh, from, uh, from a buddy that says Dizzy Dean. I, I never saw Dizzy Dean play, so I can't speak to that one. Really? Yeah, really. Just no TV? Not quite old enough there. So who who are all the... Uh, okay, the Gas House gang. i got to see who all was part of that group. Um, That's the Cardinals from 1934. I realize we're taking this to an altogether different group. Um, that's when you had Dizzy Dean in the mix. Branch Rickey was the general manager. Joe Medwick, Ripper Collins. What a name. Hmm. Incredibly rich tradition with the St. Louis Cardinals. Lou Brock. Man, the Cardinals have had some players through the years. Best fans in baseball, right, Rippy? Just ask them. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Quick peek around the NFL from the weekend. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater played his best game. Saints have gone uh, 3-0 and with Bridgewater as the starter since Drew Brees' injury. And it's an impressive 3-0. and A win at Seattle. A win at home against Dallas. And a win against a Tampa Bay team that had scored 55 the previous week. Now, let's be fair. They're not 3-0 and because of Teddy Bridgewater. Fact. They are 3-0 and because the Saints defense has looked vastly different than it did on opening night against Houston. But let's give Houston some credit. There's an argument to be made that Houston's the best offense they've faced this season. Deshaun Watson is elite Do you agree with that, Borky? Yeah, best complete offense, yes. Uh, obviously, and you're not insinuating this, but Russell Wilson, definitely the, the better quarterback of the two, having the best season of his career. But uh, yeah, yeah, guarding that receiver group, they can run the football some. All right, question, 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 question. If you had pick number one in an imaginary draft and Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson were available exactly where they are in their careers today, which one would you take? Watson, probably. I would, too. I don't even think I'd have to think very hard about it. little injury-prone. A little. But he's got more years. Wilson's been so good this year, though. Aaron Rodgers was 22 of 34 for 238. No touchdowns, but no picks in the game against Dallas. 
Dak Prescott, maybe the difference in the game, the picks, three interceptions for him. He did throw for two touchdowns, 463 yards, 27-44. But Dallas as a team ran it for only 122 against Green Bay. Green Bay jumped out to a 17-0 lead. That was a halftime score in the game. And won at 34-24. Giants lost to Minnesota. I can't figure out the Vikings this year. So are they good or not? Kirk Cousins is really good against average teams. Like if they're if you're a seven and nine team they're playing a seven and nine team in a noon kickoff, he's really good. But if he plays any defense with a pulse, he is not only just bad, but very bad. And I listened to Colin Coward talk about it on the show the other day. He apparently he was citing some report that Cousins gets like anxiety and gets very nervous before big games and he's also just not that good. And so his play suffers against good defenses. So Somewhere in the middle. I don't think they, I think Kirk Cousins is the line at which you can win a Super Bowl with. I think he's just on the other side of it. Hey, he's the first man out. Robin Jackson, you ask, or, or you, you raise a, a question. I don't know if it's actually asking a question, just kind of a statement. And I think it's one of the most interesting things that has ever been texted to this show. Whoa. You, you say you would love to hear Coach O's opinion comparing Patrick Willis and Devin White based on their college careers. That is fascinating. And and, and I would love it if Ed... I, I know there's no way he can separate the recency bias of being at LSU and being the head coach and all the success they're having. But if you could get him away from the LSU football complex, just kind of talking ball... A little bit. I'd love to hear him kind of kind of think his way through the answer. And I'm, I'm uh, no punchline about thinking his way through. I don't mean it that way. Like if you're thinking through the answer to that question out loud, comparing those two guys' college careers only, Patrick Willis and Devin White, that'd be fun. What would your answer be? Uh, I need to think about that a little bit more. I just, I, I, I'm not sure that I can give you an immediate answer. And I'm trying to take the, the NFL. I mean, Patrick Willis was a beast in the NFL. And Devin White maybe also. I'm thinking college career only. I need to think about that a little bit more.
Super Talk Mississippi media production.